This is an In Your Ears audio production. Welcome to your Coventry Culture Show podcast, episode three. And as it's 40 years of two-tone in 2019, what better place to be making my way to today than the two-tone village in Coventry, home to the brilliant Coventry Music Museum. That's just one of the places we're going to visit today. We're going to talk to Sucky Singh. We're going to talk to Pete Chambers. We're also going to have some stories of two-tone, which we've been asking for online. If you fancy sharing yours, go and search for Coventry Culture Show on Facebook. Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and join the conversation about two-tone and what it means to you. We're going to talk to Fall Girl, we're going to talk to Dean Nelson, Sugary Staple and the original rude boy himself Neville Staple will be joining us. But first let's start at the Coventry Music Museum. Let's talk to Pete Chambers about just why and how that car made it to the museum. I mean we're standing here by the ghost town car and they just can't stop looking at it. You know, <laughs> when it arrived behind the curtain, it was all very secretive. <laughs> and all the volunteers, we just stood here. We was like, you know, it was just crazy. We just all stood here just looking at it. Couldn't believe it that, that here it was. Everybody asked the same question. How did you get that in here? And uh, that's all down to a guy called Steve Kearns who put it all together. He had it in his mind and he, it was a big jigsaw puzzle. And then that particular morning that when it came in, they installed it. The place was just covered with parts of the Vauxhall Cresta, but it all got put together. We were thinking, this is never going to happen. They had to saw one of the little pins on the legs off to get it around the corner, but it all came, and uh, here it is, and we love it. And you know what? People are coming in here, and uh, you know we'd like to add little bits to it. Of course, we've also got the, um, the film, an actual film that Nigel Meffin is put together so that's going to be premiered at some point towards the end of the year so lots going on but the car is obviously the star of the show it's kind of funny because um, people often ask me and have done over the years if you could have anything in this museum that you haven't got what what your dream items and you know what we've got both of them here now for the 40 we've got jerry dammer's keyboard the organ that ghost town was written on and we've got the car and they're the two things i most wanted and it's weird that they've both managed to appear for the 40th anniversary. Was it the plan for this year? Because you did mention early, well, mid last year that you've got big plans. Was it always the idea for this? Oh, of course, yeah. The car car has been in my mind for a long time. And we're just lucky to have, as I mentioned, Steve Kearns, who was able to do it. He, 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 he's got his own garage and he does Volkswagens and... and uh, that's what he does so he does cars if it wasn't for him you know the the dream would never have become a reality (laughs) and of course he he's put so much energy and we look into this car and it looks great but the amount of work that's gone in it there's a lot of work that people don't realize who approached who with the idea to start off with i approached um steve um when steve was here he was a car man and I, i i told him my dream and I had this dream for a long while, but, you know, you, you look at it now and you think it would, never would have happened if it hadn't been for Steve. And uh, so I approached him, I told him, and he said, well, I'll be on the lookout. And he was, and, and everything kind of like, you know, to, get, to pick one of these cars up, uh, it, it's very, very rare in really good condition. Mm. You know, they're about anything from like seven, 8,000 up to 14,000, depending on what they are. So to get something like this within our budget, uh, it was just amazing. So uh, it's it's always been a dream. Uh, as I say, you know, when people ask me, what would you most like in here? Uh, I always think, oh, you know, a ghost town car, but where would it go? But hey, we've, we've, we've managed to get 
part of it in here and we think you know some of it's actually part of the original as well which is great mm. steve's doing a lot of research on that you know with uh, vin numbers and so th that would be uh, absolutely incredible but everything sort of leads you know from where it was left off because the sad thing was the guy who owned the original ghost town car as seen in the video which he's playing at the moment behind us you can probably hear it the guy that had that car tried to sell it as the ghost town car in the 90s, but there wasn't a lot of interest in two-tone then. And he actually, and this is the awful bit, he broke it up, took it to bits and sold bits, which is why we think we've got oh, some of those bits. My days. I know. It's, oh, it's what a terrible. shame. I know, I know. Can't believe it, you know, but uh, there we are, you know. Uh, things change and it just shows you, you know, how, how fickle things can be absolutely it's in it's here you've got your ghost town car lots of photos on the wall here going through a slideshow of how it was put together yeah yeah well we think that's important because people ask how did you get it in here you know we just sort of jokingly say oh we take the roof off we had a crane but yeah really no not <laughs> not really you know i'd love uh, to know how many people have walked out here going they had a crane in there uh, yeah <laughs> it looks good yeah but yeah we, obviously all the bits came up separately there's actually a main sort of frame under there where everything sort of sort of fits on and and uh, it's incredible how, how it was done but you know you wouldn't you wouldn't imagine all that got roddy's vox amplifier uh we've got a, a, a briefcase from neville staple uh, there's a, a hat there from Ranking Roger of the Beat. So we're trying to represent, you know, there's a platinum disc from Madness. So we're trying to represent all the disc, all the major two-tone bands that are there. You know, Bad Manners, a signed T-shirt, 40th anniversary one. So, yeah, we're doing our bit. And obviously these things will change as, as we go through. We've got lots of ideas. And, you know, we're working for next year. And, of course, we're working ideas for City of Culture. Absolutely. You know, how do we beat the car? I was going to say, where are you going from here? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, you've got Roddy's suit as well. Of course. That's a nicely cut suit. It's very nice, isn't it? Yeah. For, uh, ace face tailors, that was. Uh, I've got one myself, actually. But that's what's going on for 40th. How is life in general at the museum? Well, it's picked up since we've got the car in here. I've got to admit, you know, we were struggling a little bit. I think most people know that we went for three grants, that we didn't get any of them, which is uh, quite sad. But... Uh, you know, we've got a lot of generous people that have rallied round and helped us. And I just want to say thank you to all those people. They know, they know who they are. And uh, it, it's great. It's, it's amazing. It restore, restores your trust in human nature. You know, we know there's a lot of good people out there. But to people that sort of the next day, when you, when you, when you realise you're not going to get that grant and they just write you a cheque out, you know, nice. for a lot of money to keep you going. And it's great. And a lot of people out there are doing great things for us. So... Thank you to them. And, uh, you know, it's all picking up. And, of course, you know, for us, you know, we're driving into 2021 in our super-duper car. <laughs> well, we are, you know, in the ghost town car. We kind of think of it that way. And uh, we're heading for 2021 and uh, lots of great things. And we've got ideas for that, you know. Even an idea that we might even top the car but Ooh. hey I, I don't know i don't know if it's tease gonna... pete chambers oh it is a tease <laughs> it is a tease but i'm not going to give too much away but did you think when i first interviewed you when you had boxes full of stuff unloading the museum years ago <laughs> did you think you'd be here in the 40th year with your car you know what uh you can never tell um obviously we're, we're in the fifth year now heading for the sixth year next november um and it, it is it, the wonderment of it all and we're still as enthusiastic as we were on day one. But I don't know. It's one of those things, you know, 
do you think you're going to be here? It's a big question. We hoped we were going to be here because we hope that this will stay. You know, when me and Julie have gone, you know, we hope that there's somebody out there that will take the museum on and carry it on forever. You know, we don't want this dying out with us. That would be a, an absolute shame. But, uh, you know, we are here uh, and we are going to carry on. Whatever happens, you know, we, we've had our sticky moments, particularly this year. And sometimes you do think, you know, when you're not getting the grants, uh, you're not getting the help from certain quarters, you just think, oh, what are we going to do? But like, then you get the grants, and then you get the help from the other quarters, and uh, you think, yeah, we'll get there. And uh, there's a lot of kindness in there. And just imagine if, if we had to close before City of Culture, you know, without the Music Museum, you know, that would be really sad. So I'm sure we won't, I'm sure we'll carry on. And as far as we're concerned, as I say, we've got ideas that are carrying on for the next two years you know at least so um yeah it's exciting times it is and the best way for people to support it is to come down um and kids can get in for free that's right yeah kids go free we want to spread the message you know to uh to the next generations and uh we want them to know about this music that came out of this city and what we're famous for and you go all over the world and people know Coventry and invariably they'll talk about the specials so we want that to carry on so we do need people to come and support us. Please support us, you know. Sometimes on a Thursday and Friday it gets a little quiet. So we need as many people as we can. It, it, everybody that comes, you know, we're number one attraction in the city. You know, I think sometimes people get fed up with me saying that. But sometimes I think some people aren't even aware of that, you know. And we're very proud of that. There's no book to, to, to read, you know, how, how to create a Coventry Music Museum. You know, you just have to make it up as you go along, which is what we've done, basically, with the help of certain people. And, uh, and, and it can get very, very difficult. So we're number one on TripAdvisor for things to do in Coventry. We're also number one museum in the whole of the West Midlands County. And for a little, basically, a cottage industry, as we are, I think we've done really well. And we, we need to sort of push that out. And we push it out, but we need other people to say, yeah, you know, movers and shakers in the city, and there are some that support us, but there are others that, you know, really need a little bit of... Uh, a kick up the you know where and say look this is great this is a great facility we've got in the city and we need to keep it we need to help it and we need to do what we can and even come down you know i mean I'm, i don't know whether or not i should be political now but i will say this the amount of we've got some councillors in this city that have been here but there's probably about i don't know about six or seven or eight and there's all those councillors uh, I remember saying when I, when I got my award, Good Citizens Award, I addressed everybody. So nobody can say you've never invited us. I, I, I invited everybody along. And then we've had about, I don't know, probably let's say 10 of those people that run this city. And I think that's a bit of a shame that they haven't even come and see what's in the city, you know, their own city that they're supposed to represent. So come on, councillors, come on down, support us. We don't want this going. Well, you heard the man, and I don't think that just applies to councillors. If you live in Coventry, or you're coming to Coventry, or you're passing through, or whatever, go and visit the Coventry Music Museum. It's based at Ball Hill. All the details you need are online. Go and search for Coventry Culture Show. We will be going back to the Two-Tone Village in a couple of minutes to meet Suki. Now, before we do, we're asking you online, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, to tell us your story of Two-Tone. And this year, we met up with Michelle, otherwise known as Fall Girl, and she told us this 
about her story of two-tone. Hello, I'm Michelle and I'm Four Girl. I tend to write very lyrically small-time things about my own personal experiences. I really take my hat off um, in admiration to anyone that can write about things that are such social and political issues. certainly as effective as the way that the specials did it in their time. I, I just think that it was so necessary and they did it in such a spectacular way. How could you not admire that gumption and them taking that stance? Thank you to Fall Girl for sharing her story of two-tone. It can literally mean anything to anyone. Share your stories, please. Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Just search for Coventry Culture Show on there. Let's get back to the Two-Tone Village and go and meet Suki. Hi, my name's uh, Suki Singh. Um, I'm based at the Two-Tone Village. Uh, I uh, run the Hall of Fame memorabilia shop and I'm in part of the village in terms of booking bands for the venue. Not being here before, thanks for having me in. Um, how long have you been up here for? Um, I think, in terms of being open, about five, five, five and a half years now. But in total, probably on being on site about seven years, because obviously the early early years were raising funds um, to get the project up and running. And in here, you've got literally everything two-tone and beyond. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, obviously, I, I was privileged and at the right age when two-tone came along and uh, sort of enjoyed every minute of it, so... Uh, what better thing to be doing in later years of your life yeah. than, than enjoying something that you that you do, uh, and you know obviously a two tone and what it stood for, um, big part of, big part of my life. And in here, all the memorabilia you could think of from cops, keyrings, CDs, posters, pin badges, everything else. This 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 came a bit later. I was like, like I say, I'm, I was already involved with, with the project here. Uh, I was working uh, when we first started this project, but um, later on, I got I sort of got made redundant, and then I thought, okay, what shall I do? Um, go back and do what I did for the last thirty years, or do something different. So um, I had this vision, uh, and it, uh, the rest is history, as they say. I love it. And how's it going up here? All good. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like everything else, it has good days, it has bad days, it's ups and downs, but you know, we just got to keep plodding away with it, really, and uh, we, we change exhibitions every year, so there's something new for people to see when they come. Um, uh, we, we put bands on, this year we're celebrating 40 years of Two-Tone, and uh, we're leading up to the City Culture 2021. So there's going to be loads of stuff going on. We'll put a link on. Are you available online for people to go and have a look? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We, we, we've got um, Two-Town Village website. We've got Facebook pages, uh, Two-Town Central, uh, Coventry Music Museum, uh, Two-Town Village. So we're on also all the social media forums, so you can pick us up on any of those. Thank you so much to Suki. It is really nice to see that there are loads of local things you can go see, do and get involved with at the Two-Tone Village in Ball Hill in Coventry. Next up, Dean Nelson tells us his story of Two-Tone. Dean is a mad fanatical fan on Coventry City Football Club. He is a volunteer at the Music Museum, does loads of history stuff as well online. This is his story of Two-Tone. Well, uh, growing up in the uh, late 70s, I'm a Bedworth-cum-Balkington lad, uh, with really not much connection with Coventry other than my grandparents came from there. Um, yeah, the music was vibrant and fresh and somewhat totally, totally different and you could associate with it, you know. And then suddenly you'd walk around town on a Saturday and actually see these people that were actually singing these songs. You're thinking, oh, God, there's Terry from the specials, there's Jerry from the specials. And it's like, we're all like one big happy family. And the, the gigs that they put on at, at, at Tiffany's, you know, and the Locarno, 
there was just something else. It was so fresh and exciting. You can get up and actually dance to it. And you can still dance to it now. It's just as fresh 40 years on as it was in 1979. Thank you so much to Dean. If you want to share your story of two-tone, get in touch. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just search for Coventry Culture Show. Coming up, we've got our chat with the original rude boy himself, Neville Staple, but someone he knows very well and someone who we love and admire is the brilliant Christine Sugary Staple. And here she is sharing her story of two-tone. Hello there, I'm Christine Sugary Staple. Um, Well, I actually grew up around... um my parents played a lot of original blue beats um, and we had Trojan records, that kind of thing going on in the house. Um, aside from that, there was a lot of things like country and western. Um, it was a thing, I was a very mixed parentage, so my mum's um, white English with some Scottish blood and in the black side of my family, my dad was from Barbados, but we've also got some Jamaican in there in the family. So, so we had all the music. <laughs> um, and then all my friends around the estates where I grew up in Hackney, East London, uh, we had a mixture of mods. We had sound boys with sound systems. Uh, we had punks, and we, I was sort of going through that punk era. I was very tomboyish, so it fitted me um, to have the jeans and the boots and that kind of thing, bomber jackets, um, and um, friends who had the coloured hair and everything. I went through a bit of a stage of pretending to be Toya, Toya Wilcox. <laughs> she was one of my <laughs> idols at the time. So I grew up around all of that kind of thing. So Prince Buster was a regular in our household. Um, so when 79 hit and I was hearing these songs like by the specials, the first time I heard them, I thought it was so familiar. I knew the song, but I didn't know the song. But it was because of the soundtrack, um, the Prince Buster background. And then I also felt the relationship with the music because of the punky era that I'd just gone through. And lo and behold, they infused the two together. Well, then on top of that, because I'd grown up mixed race, there was a lot of confusion. As you're growing up, you, you, um, a lot of mixed race people you'll find will tend to go more black or more white. It's very hard to stay in the middle and be who you are, which I've always tried to be. Not, it, it was like a subconscious thing. So when you then suddenly, because we'd gone through seeing National Front, I mean, I had skinhead friends, but they were the good guys. But I had some skinhead friends who sort of got recruited out by National Front, this kind of thing. So that became a bit awkward, <laughs> because one minute they're, you know, see Carling down at these clubs with these guys, and the next thing they're, they're knocking for me, and I'm oh, coming out, kick a ball around. As I say, I was very tomboyish. So that was a little bit of a confusing time. So anyway, this music all put things together, and there was a lot of tension going on. So suddenly the message was also, on top of this mixture of punk and ska with a reggae vibe, there was this um, black and white unite message, the the checkered thing, the the whole message of um, getting together, let's rebel together, that's what I got from it. And we was at a rebellious stage. Um, I was just coming into my early teens when all of this was hitting. So, yeah, I think Two-Tone sort of put the whole lot, it meshed it all together and it gave me a kind of identity. So where I'd already been wearing some of the gear, I suddenly went out and, you know, bought the Arrington and the the monkey boots um, and became an original root girl. (laughs) (laughs) And still doing it loud and proud today. And still doing it But in 40 years, how have you maintained that identity that was so important to you to, like you say, to find that, to not go to one end or the other, to to stay on that road you wanted to stay on and, and have your identity? How have you found that as times have changed and as tastes have changed and as life has changed? Um, I think 
what it did for me, the, the whole two-tone thing originally done for me, like I said, put it all together. So I then realised, you know what, I don't have to be that way or that way. Because prior to two-tone, I had, sometimes I had black friends and I hung out with them and I became very much um, infused in a whole black culture and everything. And then another time I had white friends and I'll sort of be a bit more sort of East London and come on girls. It was a real, I know it sounds strange, you know, but that's the kind of thing I was going through. But then, after two times, I realised, you know what? Just be you. Be both. Be all of it. Be everything. Um, and I think I carried that for it. Because it came at a time when I was a teenager, that's literally influenced my whole life. So no matter what I've gone through, and it has been a mixture of all of those things, I've always maintained that this is who I am. I'm a bit of both. That music, yes, that also put it all together for me musically, but also socially, socially and politically, that's, that's in my mindset. So I think it's because it caught me at that influential age. When you're going into your teens, you tend to carry a lot of whatever you are then, that's what takes you through your life, particularly if it's a good thing. Nev was always my pin-up. So in 79, when um, Nev was on you know, the front pages of a lot of magazines and pin-ups and stuff, um, Terry Hall was as well from the specials. My sister adored Terry Hall. So Lorraine had, we shared a bedroom. On her side of the wall, was, it was full of Terry. On my side, it was full of Neville, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> And football, as I say, I was a tomboy. Um, 30 odd years later, lo and behold, my friend at the Oxton Pony in Hackney decided to put on an event. And um, me and my sister went along to this with some friends and Neville was DJing. So I actually met him for the first time and he'd always been my idol because he was a rogue. He was rugged, he was, whereas Terry will always seem sort of sweet and a bit pretty. I'm, I've never been into pretty boys. I like that rugged toughness. Um, so I met him for the first time and we got chatting, we got on great. And then I went about my business, went off to dance, had a great time, got to know Trevor a little bit as well. Trevor E.T. Rockers Evans. Um, and then lo and behold, Neville fell for me. <laughs> he kept sending um, Trevor over to say, Look, you know, go and tell her I like her, I want to talk to her. And I, I, it was like being back at school. It was like, I'm like, what? What's going on here? So I said, look, tell him I'm busy, I'm dancing. So he kept sending these messages over. Then he was sending gifts over. So he had his autobiography, The Original Rude Boy, from Ballstool to the specials, all about his life. So that ended up in my hand. Then a T-shirt, then a CD. So he was trying to woo me all in this sort of clubhouse. Um, towards the end, I said, look, we've got to go now, let's go. And uh, he kept calling me back, calling me back, wanting me to go to some party the specials were having, because this was during the reunion year, um, 2009 to 10. They were doing this reunion tour. Uh, I think it was about the third reunion, because the specials have done a variety of reunions over the years. Um, so, yeah, he kept trying to woo me. I went off to this so-called party, and it wasn't there. So I ran away into the night, because I'm not that kind of girl. And I made that clear to him, and I disappeared. Um, about a week later, he tracked me down, invited me to Coventry, and the rest is history. You're a, you're a hard worker, Neville. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's talk then. We're in 2019. We're looking forward to 2021. Places like the Music Museum with Pete do a great job in terms of documenting what's happened, what's, what's been, what's to come as well, I suppose. Do you think something like City of Culture bodes itself well to the message behind two-tone, scar, reggae, that sort of thing? Well, 
Look, we were involved in, when we were trying to win the bid, uh, Neville and I got involved with all kinds of things, from doing a song to different events and stuff. Um, and I, I do, yes, I do believe um, the City of Culture have um, embraced it to a point, but I think there needs to be more. Because what I'm finding, and I think it's great, the City of Culture um, thing is all geared around the young people, because obviously they are the future. But let's not forget those that led the way. And I think a lot of the young people need to see what, what led the way, particularly in Coventry. And our two-tone heritage is amazing and it's worldwide. You know, we can go anywhere on the globe, we still do. Obviously, I perform with my husband, Neville. Um, my point being is I think they need to embrace it even more. What an amazing message to put out. Black and white, unite. We did it through music. We put people together during a real difficult time of all kinds of unrest and racial tension and political tensions. So let's, let's embrace the fact that Tuto made a difference and it is celebrated worldwide and still is. I mean, we still tour the music of that time. We perform it literally globally um, and we're still putting out records and there's young people that you know aspire to us and everything. Let's let's celebrate that. Let let Coventry be proud of something that amazing that we, we, we created here. How can they do it? I think by bringing in, celebrating the music for one, um, let's use the checkered design, let's get that out there, let's celebrate it through that. Um, let's show the young people. I mean, we, we do a lot of stuff in schools and colleges, but I think there needs to be more of that. Let it be the history of Coventry, all these other things we talk about, like the manufacturing of the cars and all this other stuff. But let's talk about the two-tone. Let's talk about the music. Let's talk about that era and what it meant politically and socially. I think we need a lot more of that, to be honest, because when we do go into schools and do this stuff, they love it. They absolutely love it and we do some of the songs with them and talk about what the messages of the individual songs were and people can relate to it even now. Thank you so much to Christine Sugary Staple. I was talking to her and Nev for a good few hours at Backhouse in Coventry. They are amazing. So, from one staple to another, the original rude boy himself, Neville Staple, started by telling me about where the title rude boy came from. In the Jamaican culture, um, your parents used to say, Stop being so rude. You know, when you're a bit mischievous. Hey, boy, why are you so rude? Behave yourself, you're too rude. Yeah, and then the other uh, rude part is when you dress nice. They say, oh, boy, you dress rude, you look rude. Still fits today, looking smart. Well, I like it. I like looking good. Absolutely. Take us back then, before 1979, when the whole two-tone scene kicked off. What was it like for you musically? Uh, musically, I was doing uh, music anyway before the uh, two-tone kicked off. I was doing a um, sound system with my uh, my cousin, who used to live in Rugby. That's where I grew up in Rugby, then moved to Coventry. And I used to always listen to um, ska music, because we grew up in the household that used to play a lot of ska. My dad, like I said, my cousin. So my musical um, influence started way back when I was young anyway. And then they came to Coventry uh, with the sound system, but by that time we had another sound system called Jobanis. And um, we got together at the Hollywood Youth Club because it was like a youth club everybody used to go to. Um, myself, Charlie, Trevor, and a few of the um, young, young, I don't want to say boy, young youth um, was down there and we, we got the go ahead from raking who 
spoke to like the, well like a charity to bring the place up fix it up um, Charlie was a good chatter so he he had a, he was talking with Ray King to start the youth club and then after that sound system and the rest is history and as much as it is history looking back on it now was there a a hint at the time that it would go in the direction it went in I was just happy doing my sound system we were going places with that anyway it was going all over the country and for young young youth them days is quite uh, interesting because we never used to go all over the place so before that or after that you didn't think oh what I'm going to be doing I'm going to be in the band and it's going to work and it's going to be doing that it wasn't like that it always started with the sound system then if you want to get into how I got into specials well I was uh, we had the sound system down in Hollywood Youth Club and um, Jerry Linval a different singer not Terry and a different drummer not Brad they were rehearsing next door because they've they rehearsed there twice, let's get that right. Not three, four, five, they just rehearsed there two times. So um, the first time or second time, I heard them when I was setting my sound system up with the rest of the lads. I could hear this mixture of funny music, not funny music, but different, like ska, mixing with rock and, because that's, that's what was happening at the time, you know, with the um, punk. So we kind of mixed it together too. <laughs> Basically, all we, what we wanted to do was sing about or talk about what was happening around us. So that's where it kind of, I wouldn't say political, but we just spoke about what was happening. And we got that idea because uh, at Jamaica, that's what used to happen. People used, we didn't even have newspaper in Jamaica. So, well, we did, but most people didn't have it. So the way they used to get message across, it was singing about it on the records. So it was an information stuff as well for the uh, yeah. Scar Day. So the, uh, the specials took that up. F- from the Hollywood Youth Club, everything changed. Um, the youth club system was kind of going down. So it's losing, losing clubs for young kids. And it just went really downhill. And you could, like, ghost town. You know, like I used to say, this town is coming like a ghost town. Because same thing, shops. Um, work, everything was just going downhill, which it did go downhill. So a youth club kind of got lost after that. You mentioned Ghost Town there. When you hear that now, when people talk to you about that now, what does that strike in you? It's irrelevant now, to be honest with you, because when you look around, there's a lot of homeless and there's a lot of um, job job people that can't get jobs, they can't get nowhere to live. It's just getting a bit, you know what I mean? The same but even worse than it was. Well, there's a lot of university now, that, which I wouldn't have been able to get in. He's a rude boy from the streets, and I grew up on the streets. And, and to be honest with you, um, I'd rather have done that because I've seen more. I got my education from being on the road on the streets. And from 1979 to, to now, in terms of music, how proud are you of what you've done? I'm very proud because if you listen to music nowadays, it's all this hip-hop stuff, the music can't say anything. So, so I'm really proud of what we've done. At the time, that's what was happening. Um, and you didn't think, oh, I wanted to go this way. Because when we went in it, it was just to sing about what we were seeing and writing about what was happening around us. 
And what about in terms of legacy of your music? Are you proud of what that's going to stand for? Yes, I am, because there's a lot of new bands now that's uh, playing ska in their own way, the way they interpret it, but they got the idea from when we started, we changed it up a little bit because it's still from Jamaica, the ska. Most people out there, they know more about ska than specials took the original ska, so everybody wants to know where it came from. So now they're knowing about the, old, uh, the older artists who started ska. So for me, it's, it's a legacy from that era. What an absolute pleasure it was to talk to Neville Staple. I spoke to him and Christine for quite some time at Back House in Coventry over a coffee. It was brilliant. The man is an absolute legend. Thank you to Neville and to Christine for being part of our 40 Years of Two-Tone special. Just a little highlight of what's going on currently across Coventry. Like we've said, the Coventry Music Museum and the Two-Tone Village in Ball Hill are there for you to go and enjoy. Go and have a look online for more information and for more details. We'll pop them all onto the Coventry Culture Show pages on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you to Pete Chambers. Thank you to Suki. Thank you to Fall Girl and to Dean Nelson to Christine and to Neville Staple as well. This has been a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back with episode four of the podcast very soon. That was an In Your Ears audio production, 2019.